Hey everybody, it's Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay on NRM Streamcast.
Elvis Costello and the Attractions kick off this week's show with Every Day I Write the Book in honor of this week's very special guest who has not only written a book, but has just had a book published by none other than Simon & Schuster. More on that in a minute, but for right now, hey everybody, it's Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay. My name is Greenberg. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here as close to weekly as we can get right here on NRM Streamcast. Speaking of NRM Streamcast, you know, there are so many awesome shows you can check out on NRM Streamcast, and a lot of them are shows you can actually watch. You can go ahead and download the NRM Streamcast app to your TV and watch a lot of these NRM Streamcast shows. The app is free to download. It costs you nothing to enjoy any of the shows and i want to call specific attention to 11 mile sessions live hosted by my old friend scott boatwright way back in the day when this show was a mere mortal radio show scott and i both had shows at whfr.fm on the campus of henry ford college in dearborn michigan and scott hosted this awesome avant-garde show i think it was on sunday afternoons nicest guy in the world very laid back and he brought in a lot of avant-garde artists to play live in the studio and that was one of the benchmarks of his show and with 11 mile sessions live he continues to bring in artists to play live he spins a lot of great homegrown motor city music and you can watch the show live thursday nights from 6 to 8 p.m in the eastern standard time zone And there are so many ways you can check it out. If you're going to catch it live, you can catch it live on either nrmstreamcast.com or at 11milesessionslive.com. And that's the number 11 as opposed to spelling it out. All episodes are archived at both nrmstreamcast.com and 11milesessionslive.com. And you can subscribe to it as an audio podcast wherever you find your podcasts. The latest episode features an interview with Frank Grimaldi and a live performance from Boomcat. I can't recommend the show highly enough. 11 Mile Sessions Live. Check it out live on Thursday nights or catch up with the archive. You've got 33 episodes to get caught upon right now. This week's show is extra special and it begins with a story. During the summer of 2008, I was writing copy for a major regional retail website. I worked in a tiny room with two other copywriters and three designers. The other writers just happened to be two of the funniest and smartest people I know. My first impression of Mike? Brash and outspoken. My first impression of Carolyn? Quiet and sweet. I kidded myself into thinking I was going to be the funniest person in the room that summer. That feeling lasted a couple of days. I was quickly reminded of the dangers of hubris and of underestimating those around you. When Carolyn first revealed her razor-sharp wit, I didn't see it coming. And I was in awe. The more Mike talked, the more layers he revealed, the more he made me laugh, and the more I liked him. I quickly abandoned the need to be the funniest person in the room. Instead, I shut the fuck up, I listened, and I think I learned something. All these years later, Carolyn and Mike are still two of the funniest and smartest people I know. And now Carolyn's first novel, None of This Would Have Happened If Prince Were Alive, was just published by none other than Simon & Schuster. And I couldn't be prouder to call her my friend. It's a story of heartbreak and hilarity colliding head-on in the eye of a hurricane, wherein working mom Ramona is struggling to be a rock in the middle of her own shitstorm. A few weeks ago, 
Mike and I were both at Carolyn's book signing at Park Road Books here in Charlotte, and I can't remember the last time we were all in the same room together. Carolyn was already booked to appear on the show, but had an even better idea. Let's have Mike join us. The idea of having them both on the show felt like an early holiday gift to me. With that in mind, here's my chat with my good friends Mike Monzetta and Carolyn Prusa. I am excited today to welcome a couple of people that I used to see every day on a daily basis during the summer of 2008, and we are together here in the same room for the first time in what, about what? two what? weeks, really. But before that, it was several years. I am pleased as punched and tickled to tears to welcome my friends Mike Monzetta and Carolyn Prusa. Carolyn, I am insanely proud of you, Mazel Tov, hey, on the publishing of your first novel. None of this would have happened if Prince were alive. And I have Shortest to a- title ever. Yeah, I have to ask about that because my show has a long-ass title too. Did anybody ever give you grief about that? Just me. And I never thought that that would be the title because I thought it was too long. And then they all loved it. So you were expecting them to go, yeah, you need to like shorten it down to an acronym. Honestly, so y'all remember the movie Reality Bites. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Remember when Winona Ryder's character makes her documentary and then she sees it and then the Ben Stiller character sort of like splices it up and makes it crazy and awful and commercial. Like I thought I would have a lot more moments like that in the publishing process, but like they're like, yeah, great title. Let's go for it. And I was like, really? Okay. So yeah, let's talk about that. All of a sudden you've got, you went from being somebody who has this natural talent to being somebody who has... People who are in your corner, like guiding you through the publishing industry, and you're on a book tour. And I've been watching your Instagram stories, and it looks like you're having the most fun in the world. So how surreal is it? How much fun is it? It's super fun. It's super weird. It's more fun now that people have read the book, because before they were really excited. And now that they're telling me moments or characters or scenes that's special... And it's also really bizarre because I never thought that my strange brain would be accessible to so many people. That's fun and weird. I have to tell you, I appreciate your strange brain because I hear your voice in your writing. And I apologize in advance because I'm only a couple of chapters in only because my attention span has been murdered by the world around us and the technology that is murdering the world. But... Just in the first couple of chapters, there were lines that I saw that jumped out that I'm like, ah, that is Carolyn. I hear her voice. And I've got a couple that I wrote down specifically because they made me laugh out loud. (laughs) And it really illustrates how great writers are great because it's not so much about what they say, it's about how they say it. And one of my favorites made me laugh out loud was the itsy bitsy spider meets Bob Fosse. And I knew exactly what you meant. And you created just this perfect image of it, it just a way that you know, I sense your depiction of Ramona is here's somebody who's super frustrated and is just bursting at the seams and is like struggling to like not explode at everybody. And her internal dialogue is just so hilarious. And another one I loved was guesstimate is not a word when you say it. I want to puncture my eardrums with the keys to my minivan. So how much of Ramona is in you or is it how much of you is in Ramona? Oh, I would say Ramona is probably 
63% me. But then I made her a little more uptight. I threw a lot more stuff at her. <laughs> Marriage-wise, storm-wise, guinea pig-wise. And I also think she probably wouldn't like to admit this, but I think she probably cares a lot more what people think than I do, which would come as a surprise to no one. <laughs> Did you imagine me, my, like me, when I, you were reading it? Because people are doing that. No, I'm like, I know that when a writer writes, that there's going to be part of them in there. But I know that, you know, you have a great family life. And I just knew that as a writer, that you were putting a part of yourself in there. But it wasn't like it's a documentary. <laughs> no, no. I have a wonderful husband, and if he's ever had affairs, I didn't know about them. <laughs> I don't think I want to. You, you've got this really cool story going on where you've got this this uh, working mother who is just struggling to not strangle the idiots at work and really trying to be a patient mom to her kids and thinks that her husband at the beginning of the book is a decent guy. And the idea that she is navigating all of this plus a hurricane it, like the hurricane really just adds the drama to it so where that idea that to give that to give the the narrative the frame of the hurricane come from well so this is not my technically first book <laughs> whenever you see something in list and they say debut author that person probably has three to seven books that didn't sell how many did you have written before this Three? Uh, yeah, three. It, were any of them the one? You're like, oh, this is the one. This is the one. No, no. no they were terrible. They were no, ter no, the one before. The YA one was okay. okay. But so... Also, I got my MA in fiction writing at um, BU, and throughout my writing career, that has been one of the criticisms that, like, I am good at voice and details and story, but, like, it, <laughs> it doesn't move. It doesn't have urgency. And so... The hurricane was like sort of a writing challenge for me um, in that it, there was this huge exterior force on my character. So they were in a pressure cooker thanks to Mother Nature. So I had to um, make the story happen within the span of the hurricane. Yeah. So you grew up in the South, unlike myself. So I'm, I never... Detroit. I never knew like we didn't have her we didn't have hurricanes in Detroit. So what was it like growing up with hurricanes as just an accepted part of living in the South? Did you have those scary moments? Yeah, it's crazy. It's bananas. Can I tap can I tap into Absolutely. Mike? Did you grow up here? Uh yeah, I did can I talk? I don't know if I've been introduced on it, so I don't want everybody to hear this voice. In, in, in case you're startled, this is my friend Mike Monzetta who worked with Carolyn and I during the summer of two thousand eight. He's the best. And he's gonna speak like the expert that he is on hurricanes. Wait, did you were you here during Hurricane Hugo? I was not here during Hurricane Hugo, but I was in Texas during Hurricane Hurricane Hugo. I and it, you had Texas connection. Yeah, and it got us just as bad as it got you guys, but it didn't inspire me to write a novel, so so it's wild and it's also global warming and Savannah wasn't affected it sounds like Savannah kind of like avoided them for a while and then we just started getting walloped and I was just like okay so every time I would come everybody would freak out on the internets they cancel the school if there's like one wind 20 miles away 
which sort of made the character in this book have to scramble because she was a full-time working mom. And then you have to decide what you're going to do because if you stay, then you're kind of risking no power stuck with your kids <laughs> for a week. Um, or if you bail, you have to think about where you're going, what mm-hmm. the timing is. Um, what kind of uh, diapers or situation you're heading into. And so I just thought, like, well, maybe people, you know, who don't go through this every fall, maybe some of these details would be interesting or fresh for them. So, ta-da! Hurricane Matthew became a character in my book. What's the... Sorry, is it live? Are we not live? You can talk. Oh, sorry, I thought I was going to get, like, an intro before I spoke, so I didn't want to steal your thing. I didn't want to be like, hey... Just just know that if you do something really stupid, I could always edit it. <laughs> no, but I didn't know if there was going to be like a, hey, and this is my other friend, Mike um, Monsetta, so I didn't want to just... Okay, listeners, he wants a fancy intro. I think that's what we're getting. Wait, we're not live recording would right you... now, are we? Yes, yes we, we are. are. The whole uh, thing. Would you, would you like to give him an intro? Okay. So, Mike Monsetta worked with Greenberg and I at Bell, yeah. and um, he, he would write his copy very very quickly then he would eat grilled chicken then he would like walk throughout the whole building to burn his calories and then he would watch roadhouse and to catch a predator on youtube during work but he is the funniest smartest um most swole person in the whole wide world and that's why we wanted him to come on the podcast he is also the star of a B horror movie classic. It's A plus to me. <laughs> well, then it's been upgraded, and that's all that matters. It, this movie called Night Feeders, and if you can find it, you know it's a great popcorn movie. Thank you so much for having me. I didn't realize that we were going live, but uh, what do you think we were just chatting? Yeah, but I want to see Greenberg and I are professionals. Wholeheartedly agree with all of your assessments. So thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. So let's let's get back to the book here. Um, what's the response been to the book? I've I've taken a brief look on on the interwebs and seen some really cool reviews. So I think people are digging it. I so when the early um, advanced copies came out. I was going on Goodreads at first, and then my writer friends were like, why would you do that? (laughs) Do you hate yourself? But I, as much as I'm delighted by my male copywriter bro readers, like, I really wanted, you know, some of my women friends and, like, moms who are wearing all these hats, and they're, like, in the trenches. I really wanted them to get a giggle and be like, right? Am I right? And I'm getting some of that feedback, which makes my heart happy. That is very cool. And it must be just so awesome when you're getting total strangers. That's, like, the dream of, like, I'm going to create something, and people I don't know are going to love it, and just, I'm guessing that's probably about as good as it gets. Monzetta gets a lot of um, fan mail. <laughs> I do. Strangers. Well, it's only because I'm very, very good looking. And he's really, he's really hot, listeners. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna post a um, headshot. Do you have so when you wrote your book? Do you like kind of imagine like what other people are thinking when they read it? No, because you don't know if anybody's gonna read it. <laughs> but Ever. no, when you're writing it though. I mean, when you're when you're writing it. Are you thinking, like, uh, if I write this, what are these people going to think? Or if I write this, what are these people going to think? Or what, what is that? 
No, well, I think the like... idea comes in in my case, I just vomited out and then some of the things are in editing. But yeah, I think if you worry about what people think and people will always like hate it and think you suck, then you will get zero. You'll get nowhere. Do you have like a set process or schedule for writing? Do you get up in the morning and go, okay, I'm going to sit down for three hours in the morning and write and I'm not going to let myself off the hook? And do you have like rituals like that? Yeah, I try to be super disciplined, but it's kind of hard. Um, I had a writing teacher in college who said you should go to work like a banker like nine to five right but then I also have seven thousand other things to do (laughs) so at my most focus I will get like a good two or three hours in at my least focus I will write like a paragraph and then be like oh I'm gonna put the laundry away and then (laughs) fall into some internet wormhole (laughs) what's the process like what's the experience like of shopping the book that's gotta be like that's gotta be pretty just soul-sucking of like I got this book and I'm not basically like trying to get people to like believe in me and here you are you you got to the place where people believe in you but it must have the road to getting there must have been just so arduous and it just must feel really satisfying to know that you were right all along I think it feels great but I think any creative person like you guys you gotta be tough right like for every person that might respond and connect to your writing, there's someone that's going to think it's dumb and it sucks. Mm. So you got to be tough and believe in yourself. And I... <laughs> so was was the toughness always there? Or did you have like that first rejection? You just like crawled into the nearest bottle of wine or... Oh, yeah. Well, tequila. <laughs> I underestimated you. But maybe, like, maybe it's good... I mean, maybe that's like a bonus of being like a a parent who's writing because you don't have time to like wallow because you got to go to carpool. Right. Um, That's that's a great perspective. um, I don't have time to be sad because the little ones depend on me. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I have just always been doing creative stuff. Okay. Even though I rarely got paid for it. And so there's always like a part of me that's like, I'm going to do this, whether it's when I'm 24 or 74, like, I'm going to do this. So the plan always, no matter where you were in life, you always had this goal of, I want to write and I want to get published and I want people to read it and I want people to love it. Yeah. They don't have to love it. But they should. They can use it as a coaster. (laughs) (laughs) A mighty big coaster as she sets her glass on the book. Well, let me ask you this. I've always thought this was so interesting as a writer myself. Uh, and, and as somebody who would love to write a novel, I don't feel like I have that idea in me. So how did you know that this was the idea that I'm going with? Well, I think I just had, like, was so into it and stream of conscious at, at first. And that's how you know that it is, like, a strong vein or it has momentum. Like, if you're struggling... Tell me more about that. Yeah, what do you mean? What do you like, mean? Like, I remember coming up with the idea and, like, having this Ramona voice in my head and thinking of all the weird motherhood details um, that I have to deal with every day and other people. And I remember, like, thinking about it on the way to pick up the boys. Like, I have to go on this street on Victory Drive every day to get the boys. And it has palm trees and it's pretty, but it's trafficy. And I remember, like hearing her voice in my head and like not wanting to forget it but I couldn't write things down because I was driving and 
that wouldn't be good for driving. So, like, making little notes on my phone. I do embrace technology sometimes. Like, um, and so when you feel that energy, that's exciting and that tells so me that there's when, something there. when did Ramona come to you then? Was it after you wrote the other two novels? Was it after feedback or was it just, just something? I think it was right after Hurricane Matthew and it was uh, 2016. Okay. Yeah, I remember that one. I remember being mm-hmm. here and... That was um, interesting. And it was also um, right after the election. Shitstorm. Yeah. Like total shitstorm. Yeah. No, but I um, just like feel like w- when we were in Savannah, so we got crushed by this hurricane and like the trees were down, the power was down for a week. And then we had the election, not to get political on your podcast, but it didn't go my way. And so I just remember like feeling like... The time before all that and after that was like, you know, the end of innocence. It was it was a difficult day. Mm-hmm. That's always so. That's so interesting to me. Like I, 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 just as a writer myself, I've always wanted to write a book, but I've never known when that idea was. This is the one that I'm gonna focus on and, and just go with. I think you just that's need so to write. To me. I think you just need to write, and if it's shit, you just get the shit out of your system, and then you just keep writing <laughs> just until the shit comes out. Or you find the story inside the shit. There you go. So let's get back to um, you're shopping the book, and the day comes where you find somebody who goes, I believe in you, and I'm going to help you get to where you're going. What was your mindset like where you're like, okay, I'm prepared for another failure, but that's okay because I've built up my armor, and what... What was that day like? Tell me, like, the before, during, and after, emotionally, what you were feeling. Um, it feels awesome. Um, I wanted to keep this podcast light and breezy because I'm hanging with you guys and you're hilarious. But I got the offer on the same day that my grandmother died. Oh, wow. Rita, who was awesome. She lived a magical long life and she was awesome. But... So it was almost like she gave you a last gift. Yes. Yes. I No, she probably would have, like, found things in the book that disappointed her. <laughs> no, but, like, it, um, you guys don't have kids. Do you remember, in, did you ever see Inside Out? It was a Pixar. I've heard really good things about it. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. So in Inside Out, the whole thing takes place in, like, a teenager's brain. Okay, Monzetta can relate to that because of course. he still has a teenager's brain. Um. <laughs> And Amy Poehler is one of the voices, and they're sort of controlling the feelings and the hormones. And at the end of the movie, they figure out that. Um, so she represents this character called Joy, and Joy is always trying to like push sadness away because she doesn't want her human to feel sadness. And at the end of the thing, they realize that like those two things like need each other. Like joy and sadness are next to each other, and so that you uh, sort of appreciate both. And so that's that day that I got the offer and Grandma died. Like it sort of felt like. So going back to Monzetta's uh, teenage brain, the other night at the Hanukkah party, my Hanukkah, Hanukkah, spin the dreidel around. Yep. So my my sister's friend who teaches middle school overheard a snippet of conversation. And the podcasters can't see your silly expression. No, no, I didn't I know can. I was getting sidelined like this. I'm getting. Uh, I'm into it. It was it was kind of a priceless moment. Sure, explain to me. Can I say what what happened? Was she teaching you guys about? Wait, what did she hear me say? 
Uh, it, we, <laughs> <laughs> you said you heard me say something. I'm not. I'm not going to say the exact thing, oh, but it was. No. It was something that prompted her to go. Are you in middle school? <laughs> no, he's a grown ass yes. adult. I am a grown ass man. I'm so curious to know what she said. I, I'll tell you after the recording. Okay. Yes. What? Okay. Don't we know. all want to know. Was uh, he being inappropriate? I don't think so. I think it made a very like storied life out of being appropriate. So I don't think <laughs> I don't think I would ever see anything inappropriate. I mean, you are apropos of nothing. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I usually stay away from inappropriate. I missed the party. Were there amazing snacks? Oh, there were latkes. Probably the best. <gasps> and my mom made her brisket. I believe that there's a cult waiting to form around my mom's brisket. I'm like, I'm a vegetarian, well, but we, we I, to, I always help. stop that shit from I always, I always help with the brisket because I know it brings people great joy. Oh, did Manzetta eat the biscuit? The brisket. I did. Did yeah. you taste the brisket? I did. It was did fantastic. you taste the goodness of it the brisket? And then he felt like body brisket. shame and started doing push-ups. <laughs> no, no, I didn't do any push-ups. This, this dude. <laughs> Why do I have this? This dude brought Heineken NA yeah. to the party. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. What's Heineken NA? It's the non-alcoholic version of Heineken. Oh, bless. When I was in college, there was like a campus rule that if when you had alcohol or kegs or whatever, you had to have, they were called ENABs, which stood for Equally Attractive Non-Alcoholic Beverages. <laughs> Where did you go to college? So Stanford, so I still call them so ENABs. what is that? Where is that? California. <laughs> okay. And you know, I, I support anybody who is going on the straight and narrow. I have a good friend in... I know that. I would... <laughs> I have a good friend in Tennessee who's a recovering alcoholic, and he loves all the NA beers, and he loves, the, but, oh, this... and he loves all the. There's actually NA like alcohol, like like hard liquors, but like in NA versions, <gasps> and I support that. But I'm kind of like so that's is... kind of like decaf. So well, if I'm like... not drinking alcohol, I would have the sparkly water. But you know delighted. what though? I realized as soon as I said it's that that. I'm a vegetarian who eats fake meat, so I have glass houses. I can't throw any stones. Were there any cute? Were there any cute ladies at the Hanukkah party? Are you? Are you, are you seeing anyone? Is he seeing anyone? Not that I know of. Although on, he was working it. Are you on the? He internet? was working. He was working the gimmick. He was. Tr- he was trying. He was trying to get something going. I'm doing fine, thank you. I'm doing fine. We're not worried. We'll talk after. We're not worried. No, we'll... Listeners, when you see the headshot, you won't be worried either. Yes. So I'm, yeah, I'm very, very. Attractive. So you, you were, you were talking. <laughs> He's you, like, I like myself. I have a lot to offer. Most of it's great with pets. Most of it's in the I looks. I love cats. Yeah, yeah. Dog on it. People most like of me. Everything I have to offer is in the looks department. I hope you're not. What I'm really looking for is somebody that's not in a conversation. <laughs> what I'm really looking for. A little is less conversation, a little more also, action. Also, I hate long walks on the beach. Like if that's your thing, if that's your thing. What do you have against long walks on the beach? Because you could be sprinting no. or also, doing burpees. Yeah. Also, oh, I hate burpees. Also, my favorite thing. <laughs> my favorite thing is fake people. <laughs> like if you don't like fake people, I'm out. <laughs> Or to catch a predator. I'm really into fake people. <laughs> okay. Um, this is a, this is a observation about Charlotte, North Carolina, where yes. I grew up, Queen City. I did not know that inflatables can be that big. Oh, I'm like the driving waist? around. They are 
two stories high. Right. And is that not a reflection of penis size? Are we are we in a city? Oh, that is a, a mid, that's a that's a midlife crisis screaming at you. Are we talking about like the holiday inflatables or like the the, the windsock guys the of the car wash? Holiday inflatables are so big right? and terrifying. Now, what what's your take on the windsock dudes? Oh, big fan. But that's for like car dealerships. Right. Okay, I am walking around Myers Park and Queens Road, and they are enormous and yep. terrifying. Yep. We don't have that size in Georgia. <laughs> so we have. So then, what what's going on in Georgia then? Oh. Aside from people doing the right thing. Well, oh, in the election. Yep. Psh, barely. Barely. It, it, it counts. We we. <sighs> no, it's it's okay. We're day by day in Georgia. But I am well, like, talking about like the Christmas decorations. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, we didn't. I don't think that we have the size of the inflatables. You don't need Charlotte the size. Is. You just need the spirit. Oh yeah, there's spirit. You were talking at the uh, book signing about um, possibly revisiting some of your older ideas, things that got rejected for the next book. Is that like the the YA one? Is that still something you're thinking about? Oh, I don't know. Um, I do love YA. I think it's really fun and right. creative. And you should write a YA book. Oh. I don't know if I have a, a great novel idea in my head. I wish I did. Here's the thing. What's a good, what's a good, if you, so if you were to give me, who you know is a very accomplished writer, if you were to and start me handsome. off. Thank you. Oh, God damn, am I good looking. But if you could start <laughs> And modest. What would be like a good template? Like if you could just throw me a template and I could go from there. Dude, right? I feel like, like, I know what you did last summer was a good young adult uh, fiction book. It is about like some. Wait, was that a book? Yeah. It started off as a book. I thought it was just a movie. No, it started off as a book. What, like, something like that. Did like, I see the movie? Jennifer Love. Never saw it. Jennifer I've seen Love the movie is. poster. Yeah. Or something like that. Like, what's a good template or, or, or something that you could throw in? What if you take some of your um, Brett Easton Ellis mm-hmm. style? Like set it in LA and like based on that experience and like sort of uh, target it towards a younger audience. Well, see that's interesting. Like more fun, less angst. I know that's so interesting though, is because in the eighties, less than zero was young adult fiction. Right. And it was so. Uh, With like wayfarers and cocaine. <laughs> right, right. And they right. were using the wayfarers to snort their cocaine off of. You could set it in the eighties. I would read a Mike Monzetta book set in the eighties. Would you really, dude? Yeah. Done. I would read a Mike Monzetta book, period. Really? Okay? Just... I'll see what I can do. I'll see I, what I can would do. read a Mike Monzetta text thread. <laughs> I <laughs> have. We're just going on like the lowest common denominator. I have read a Mike Monzetta text thread. <laughs> I would read a Mike Monzetta it, it junk is, email. It is... It is... <laughs> Nigerian. Great. I give it If the Mike sh- Monzetta was my Nigerian prince, I would send him hundreds of thousands of... Cougarants. <laughs> I don't know if you have hundreds and thousands of cougarants. I don't know. No, yeah. God damn, you're so inspirational though. Like, I really want, and I'm not, it sounds like I'm blowing smoke, but. So, before we get it onto the homework, and I gave everybody homework, what are your takeaways from the experience? What are you looking forward to next? I kind of, I'm, I think I'm an extrovert, and I really like humans, so I'm glad that it came out after the COVID, so we could have some events and get feedback from readers. That, Plus, it's out for the holidays. That felt really great. Yeah. I kind of, I'm craving going back into my right. weird writer cave right. a little bit. So, I got to back up a little bit. COVID. So, how much of all this process was happening during COVID, and how frustrating was that? 
a small percentage, COVID terrifying, dividing the country. A lot of people died, did not like that. Um, for me, it was a baby gift because I was working full time and then trying to write like at night and weekends and that stuff was not good. That right. writing was not good. And so when COVID happened, we got furloughed. So my boys were at home and we were doing remote learning, but I had like some windows of daytime writing. And I don't know about y'all, but I am not smart anymore <laughs> after like nine o'clock. So I was like working with the agent and getting it ready for submission. And I was grateful for some of those um, daytime writing windows. What's the best piece of feedback you got from your agent? I don't know. She's proud of me. I My agent is like the smartest person and the best editor ever. Like what kind of what kind of things does she say? Hey, do this, do that that you make you go, "Ah, this is why you're my Yoda." Um, I I just think that we have a good connection. I think she's really smart and okay. I admire her and she has like a good impulse for storytelling and um it feels great to have that trust trust is everything and i can add to that i feel like everybody has that friend where they say oh man you'd write a book you should write a book you got an interesting life is that you us <laughs> no no i'm just saying that everybody you're, has... now you're sounding like somebody's drunk uncle no no no. i feel like everybody has that friend where they say you should really let a write a book oh you've yeah had, you've had a fascinating life but, yeah but not only is is Carolyn that person that I would want to write a book, but she is also a talented writer. Right. Like she's somebody that can write a book and do it right. Yeah, she's she's actually done it, and we are insanely proud of her. Aww. So, all right, so this I, think I think we've talked... every day. I think, <laughs> I think we've talked about the book quite enough, but before we get into the homework, so the title of the book is None of This would have happened if Prince were alive. So why Prince? We talk, You talked a little bit about this at the book signing. Somebody asked you, why Prince? Why not Bowie? Why not George Michael? It seemed like 2016, 2017 was the double album of Suck where we were reminded of our mortality because all these people that we loved all of a sudden perished and we're like, oh shit, we're not time millionaires anymore. Um, so I was equally devastated by all the celebrity deaths. And personally for me, it was Prince, David Bowie, George Michael, Tom Petty. I think, oh, Petty was hard. Yeah, I think yeah. that was 2017. Um, I chose Prince because the character was struggling with reconnecting with the person she became after marriage and right. after becoming a mother and having all these responsibilities and like really struggling to dig herself out of that and reconnect with the person who she was. Um, so I thought Prince was a metaphor for sexuality and playfulness and fun and mystery and purple and sparkle, which, spoiler alert, sometimes disappears. So <laughs> I want... Thank you for reminding me. I wanted to share this earlier and I got sidetracked. But when the book came out and I got my copy and I posted a picture of it on my socials, I had people chiming in who didn't know who you were, but they saw the cover and they saw Prince in there. And they're like, I need to have this. And there was one person who was like, I actually saw this book in the store and I didn't real. And I think it was one of the stores you were doing a signing at. And she's like, 
oh crap, I didn't realize this was her and I'm going tomorrow to get it. So just, I'm happy that I could sell five more books for you. (laughs) You're the best. Well, I mean, let's open it up to the audience. Like, why do you think people were so affected by Prince's death? Okay, I will just go ahead and say that Prince's music was just groundbreaking and I'm going to save a lot more of what I'm going to say to set up my top five. And yes, our, our homework was that everybody has to come in tonight with their top five Prince songs. But Prince was just a groundbreaker. He's like not human. He's not. Just like a tiny little alien who could shred. From planet Minneapolis. Did you ever like have any overlap? Did you ever go to the Paisley? No, but I did see Prince. I saw, okay, you're going to hate me. But I saw Prince. I, would, I could never. Mike and I Everybody could. says that. Um, I saw Prince front row center at a midnight show at the Masonic Theater in Detroit. Oh, how much was your ticket? I actually have my ticket in my little book of tickets was here. It like I don't $18? know. It was pretty cheap. But this was the nineteen ninety. This was the nineteen ninety nine tour, which actually took place in nineteen eighty two. Wow! And it was no way. It was Prince. The time in Vanity Six. So before you, this was before he was Prince. You're going to so see. this was like on the he cusp. Was like, he was like an heir. This was like on the cusp of. This was like because for me, I, and again, don't want to say all the stuff that I want to say to set up my top five. But yeah, you're absolutely right. This was when he was kind of starting to be the purple badness that he was but not quite the international juggernaut that purple rain turned him into when you saw him did you have a sense that he would become the greatness or were you like oh i already knew i already knew i'm like i knew with dirty mind he was up to something i knew that you know i i knew that i was seeing something special and it i wrote did you get like butt cheeks wet I'm sure that happened. Um, I actually caught Des Dickerson's guitar pick. (gasps) Maybe Prince doesn't sweat because he's not a human. The only thing that could have been cooler would be if I caught Prince's guitar pick. But Des Dickerson was a, his whole band was badass. Was there sparkle? What was the look then? Was it like the lingerie? No, it wasn't very lingerie. It was it was more close to. it was more close to what he was rocking on Controversy. You know, the that that long trench coat, you know, the jerry curl. How high were his heels? Pretty damn high. But you could tell that he was a short dude. And I have a vivid memory of... Petite. I, I, had, a, I, I had a friend of mine who took me to the show, and he had one of those cameras, you know, those little stupid... Ca- not the port... Not the disposable ones, but like the, the old Kodak cameras with the little flash cube on top. At one point, he goes, hey, Prince, say cheese. And Prince just looks at him and goes, tourists. And he poses for the camera. I'm so fascinated about that era of musicians. Like, uh, somebody that saw Prince in 1981, or somebody that saw Kurt Cobain in 1990. Right. Or somebody that saw Jimi Hendrix in whatever early 70s year that he was. Before he, was he was dead by then, but I'm okay. so fascinated by that By that. That that one era in time right. where, like you said, that you just saw Prince yeah. right before he yes. did it, or did somebody see Kurt Cobain right before? But keep in Nevermind mind, he was out. still a big deal. I mean, it was 1999. You had Little Red Corvette, so he wasn't a total. He wasn't nobody. He was somebody, but he wasn't. 
he wasn't Purple Rain Prince. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. But you still but saw st- him in that area, and, and you was... probably said to yourself as a music aficionado, yeah. you probably said to yourself, this guy is going to... Oh. Did, did you have that moment? No. At that point, I said, this guy is already the shit. I knew. I knew he was the shit. I never saw him. No, I never saw Prince live as well, but... Uh, We're just going to have to live vicariously. Yeah, maybe you can is explain that the only, Did you see him other times? That was the only No. Time. For me, I was like, I could have, but I'm like, nothing would top that. Nothing would top seeing him at a midnight show at the Masonic with the time and Vanity 6. I just, I knew I could go. I knew I would probably get some semblance of enjoyment. That I'm, had to be like... 12 people on stage. Yeah, I was going to say, what was the pitch? What what was the pitch that got you to go to that show? I was a fan. I was already a fan. I grew up in Detroit, and I was part of this group called... Shut (laughs) up. I was part of this... Detroit nicknames. I was part of this uh, Jewish youth group called AZA. And I hung out with all these other Jewish dudes who were big into Prince, and I liked Prince. I knew... I knew who he was and I liked what I heard, but like this was around the time that Controversy came out. So we were like all hardcore into Prince and we listened to this dude on the radio, the Electrifying Mojo, who did this awesome show on this urban radio station. And he mixed Prince, The Time, The Vanity Six, alongside of like the B-52s and Devo and Kraftwerk. Kraftwerk. And, and it was... I got to see Kraftwerk this year, and that was another another bucket list item, but that's another story for another time. But to, to know that there was somebody out there who was, like, mixing all the different musics and got how awesome Prince was was pretty infectious to a high school kid. That's cool. I wish I could travel back in time and go to the show with you. But you know what, though? You've seen other shows that you can brag about. Am I right? <laughs> Not Prince. <laughs> but you've seen George. I remember you saw George. Oh, I love George. Um, I you saw went. A... For, you went for your bachelorette party, right? Yeah, I saw Tom Petty. Probably. I never saw Petty. Oh, I, like four I, to six I, times. I, lo- I love Petty, but I made the mistake of saying I'll see him the next time, and I kick myself. Because he seems they all seem like the kind of people that live yeah. forever. Yeah. So. The one show, the one show I'm really proud of seeing, and it's a band that nobody really knows of. This band called Morphine that I adore. I love Morphine. Everybody knows Morphine. Yeah, nobody you know knows Morphine. Morphine. No, everybody knows fan. Morphine. I'm a big fan. But Mark Sandman, the the bassist and frontman of Morphine, died on stage of a heart attack at a festival in Italy. I'm like, what a rock and roll way to go. But I saw them. We're not encouraging that. Listeners. No, no, do not die on the stage. Anywhere. You can die during this podcast. Yes. Do, surrounded by your loved tr- ones. That's the way that I would encourage. Try not to die. But yeah, I, I saw saw Morphine like about two or three times, and one of them was a show they recorded for a live album. So being the huge Morphine fan that I am, I mean, to me, I, mean, I love them, but I always imagine that like 99% of the world doesn't know who Morphine is. So the fact that you know who they are makes me happy. Come on. Mike and I are... Unless you're totally yeah, bullshitting. Do you think we're a couple of nerds? I mean, no, we're that... nerds in other ways. Yeah. I mean, I think we're <laughs> I think <laughs> I think we are all very distinct, different kinds of nerds. But it's important to find your nerd niche. You need to find your your nerd uh, your nerd fam. Do you love Nirvana? I do. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I was a big Nirvana kid when I was fifteen. Yeah. 
that was when uh, like I was 15 when Nirvana first came out, and that was when you were just angry anyway. So the, <laughs> the fact that they had music that was angry with you. Custom made for him. What a great time to be like 15, 13, 14 when Nirvana came out. I just never felt that connection with him. I, I like Nirvana a lot, like a lot. And major respect, but I, again, I didn't feel that connection to him. I was out of college at the time. Okay, so you weren't... Yeah, no, so I, I loved like, him. I, I, thought, I thought I thought they were great, but you for me... You just said you were 15. What's happening here? I thought that, yeah, you know, there's a little sliding <laughs> scale was, going on. Yeah, there was like a weird... Despite like, all my grades, he's still just a rat in a cage. I was, but there was also like a wormhole, like a time-traveling wormhole. So, they were great, but you know, Morphine was always my favorite band of the '90s, which made me the guy who never got invited to parties in the okay. '90s. I would like to point out that um, <laughs> Mike is wearing a flannel today, so yeah, hey. yes, still, he looks he's flow. connected. You know, he looks like a roll of <laughs> he looks like a roll of scotch tape. When we hear Stone Temple Pilots in the car, my oh, husband's like, Stone Temple Pilots. he can't help but do the voice, and it drives my kids crazy. But it oh. started with Pearl Jam, and then yeah, like, Stone Temple Pilots, and then it went to Creed, and then it went to Creed, where there's oh. like, we should have stopped this a few so, years ago, but the Creed guy's like, no, so, I'm going to keep this girl her. So, <laughs> many years ago, Chris Hardwick... <laughs> Chris Hardwick. Am I stealing Chris's joke? No, no, no. He referred to that style of singing as soul yodeling. (laughs) Okay. I like that. Right? It's kind of accurate. Okay. When we get to our list. I um, think we're ready to get to our list. Okay. Well, I have a grunge connection. Do you want me to start off? Would you like to start with your list? Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, Carolyn Perusa is going to regale us with her top five Prince songs. Okay. When You Were Mine, so good. Probably made more famous by Cindy Lauper, who is also a genius. And Mitch Ryder. Ah. Number two. These are not in chronological recording order. Alphabet Street. Oh, yeah. That's from Love Sexy, right? I think that was playing in the delivery room when my son was born. Really? What? You get to make a playlist. So now your son is universally connected to Prince music. I don't know if he's really channeling that yet. Uh, Raspberry Beret. Oh, that's a great one. Um, as a storyteller, it is brilliant. Seven, I don't totally understand what's going on in Seven, but I like the sort of like um, chimes and climactic edge to it. Is it about Seven Deadly Sins? I want to talk about Seven for a second because okay. I have Seven on my list as well. Okay. Seven is my number two top favorite Prince song of all time. And you I don't really, totally you understand it, but I love it. I feel like Prince... Like, at first when I was listening to it, I thought maybe it was biblical, but then I thought maybe he's just saying well, words that he knows. But he loves God, but he also loves sex. So that's like in all the songs. And so then I felt like Prince's world building. Is Prince world building? Is of this course like, he is. Is this like Magic the Prince, Gathering? Prince has been world building since like, what, 1985, I think. It's the world that not a lot of people live in. Right. It's, it's cool and purple. So that's one of my favorite Prince songs. Okay, he was like jumping on my list. So, continue. Reader, listen. Okay, no, no, that was four. Number five is Nothing Compares to You, which I just thought of because we were talking about the grunge. Right. And I love 
several of his versions, one of which does like a gospel call and response during the Right. Game, Is that the one I that love? was that was on the record that came out a couple of years ago where he like In, like the from the vault? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also, listener, there's a cover by Chris Cornell, who another one yep. gone too soon. Yep. And who like just like always sung from like oh my god like through his whole body, and that version is beautiful. Awesome. I would also encourage you to check out. There's an awesome cover of Raspberry Beret by a band called the Hindu Love Gods, which was a one-off. I heard that. Okay, so Hindu Love Gods, one-off. The 75% of R.E.M. that isn't Michael Stipe, so it's Pete Buck, Mike Mills, Bill Berry. Shout and, out, Georgia, Athens. And Warren Zevon. Uh-huh. So, and it's a very cool, co- it's very garagey. Warren Zevon is a cool dude. Let's do another podcast about him. Absolutely. My top five Warren Zevon songs. All right, so with that, that is Carolyn Bruce's top five favorite Prince songs. Which is a small percentage out of the vault. Absolutely. And we'll come back in a moment after we listen to Carolyn's top five. Okay. 
to do her any harm. So look here, I put her on the back of my bike when I, we went riding down by old man Johnson's farm. I said, now overcast days never turn me on. There's something about the clouds and her.
ways to connect with us on social media number one like debts no honest man can pay on facebook number two follow us on twitter at exile on e street and number three like us on instagram at exile on e street same as twitter making it extra convenient or if you want to kick it old school drop us an email debts no honest man can pay at gmail.com in that last set, Carolyn Pruce's top five favorite Prince songs at the top of the set, When You Were Mine, followed by Alphabet Street, 
Raspberry Beret 7 and nothing compares to you. Our chat with Mike Monzetta and Carolyn Perusa continues as I run down my top five favorite Prince songs. I'm going to go ahead and hit you with my top five, and mine sort of goes in chronological order. So just to kind of give you some context, first time I ever heard Prince was back in 1979 when I Want to Be Your Lover was a hit, and at that time I thought, decent song. I thought, okay, one hit wonder. I was obviously wrong. You thought that was a one hit wonder? That was the only song of his I knew at the time. Fast forward to 1980 and Dirty Mind, and I saw the video for Uptown, and it was on either like the Midnight Special or one of these British import video shows before MTV. And I just thought, whoa, this is the same guy. He's a fucking badass. And he's combining like the all the different styles. There's new wave, there's rock, there's funk, and I want to be there for it. Plus, Uptown was just, just such a celebration of life, and it just felt like the coolest street party ever. Uptown was what made me a Prince fan for life. And I'm going to double dip from that same album. Dirty Mind might be my favorite Prince song of all time. Hey. Because it's just so infectious that just it's so insistent. And when Prince passed, I wrote a long post about it on my socials like I did when Bowie passed. And one of the things I wrote about when Prince passed was Prince's music was the soundtrack to all the racy escapades I was never lucky enough to have in high school. There's time. It's not too late, Scott. Let's race it up. I mean, this is, what is it? What is it now? 2022? Hey, we're vaccinated. That's my favorite Prince song. So, um, moving along. <laughs> the, the vaccinated the, in, the, in the title of the song is like a variety of numbers and symbols. Right. My third favorite Prince song would be Controversy. Because Controversy, I feel, is he crystallized all the concepts and all the vibe that he laid down with Dirty Mind. And with Controversy, he really, that to me was the first time that Prince was like, I am a serious artist and you will take me seriously as an artist. And that's when I knew that he was the real deal. I feel like your picks are kind of based on his career and your connection versus like the sound. Oh, the sound, the sound spoke to me. Yeah. I'm like, trust me, when I hear Dirty Mind, my... my Your mind ad- gets my, dirty? Well, oh. no, my... Um, <laughs> Do I need to step outside no, for a second? No, no, no. Okay. No, it's just... I'm very, it's very one of those songs that just kind of takes me back to a place in time, and there's certain songs that just kind of give you that adrenaline rush and make you feel like you're 17 again. So we got uh, Uptown, we've got Dirty Mind, we've got Controversy. Then the next one would be, and I thought I had five. I guess I only had four, but I am going to... We got homework. Yeah, Scott, I think you assigned us the homework. So, and then you only have four. Have I ever told you that I'm horrible at math? No, you, yeah, you assigned us the homework. Yes. You told us to do five. Some of us did the homework. Yes, yes. So, okay, so for the, the fourth, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I am going to piggyback on Carolyn's pick of Raspberry Beret because after 1999 and everybody was like, holy shit, this dude put out another album like less than a year after Purple Rain. Is it going to be any good? And 
Raspberry Beret not only was effortless, but it had that cool psychedelic sound. And it's one of those songs that just, it endures. That's that's my, my four. So if I'm going to, if I have to rank them. Well, I'm, Greenberg, I noticed that you don't have anything after the 80. I'm getting there. Oh, okay. My, my last right. pick. Thieves in the Temple. Nice. Right? Yeah. Sultry. Right? It's it's just, it's one of those songs that just, it sneaks up on you. It just burrows itself under your skin. And you're walking down the street and you just find yourself, love come quick, love come in a hurry. It's just, it's so badass. And I think I might have been one of five people who saw the movie that that was from. Yeah. What's Rain- the movie? Rainbow Bridge. No, I don't know. Wait, that's where your dogs go when they die. Well, yes. But is that what the movie's about? Yeah, it was supposed to be. It was ori- all the animals could go the Rainbow Bridge. I think the Rainbow Bridge was originally mm-hmm. conceived loosely as a sequel to Purple Rain, but it doesn't really feel that way. But you know, Prince is in it, and uh, the time is in it. A young Tevin Campbell. Introducing Tevin Campbell. Nice. Even Mavis motherfucking Staples is in this. Nice. So, yes. So, Thebes in the Temple is, if if I have to rank them, Dirty Mind is my absolute favorite. Uh, Uptown is number two. Controversy, Raspberry Beret, and uh, Thebes in the Temple. And with that, we'll come back after this set, and Mike will regale us with his top five.
by virtue of the fact that you are currently listening, you need no further assistance finding the Debts No Honest Man Can Pay podcast. However, your friends may need a little assistance. In which case, be a good friend and tell them they can find us pretty much everywhere you find such things. Places like Apple, Google, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Castro, Radio Public, CastBox, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And while you're at it, tell them we archive every episode of the podcast and they're conveniently found at debtsnohonestmancanpay.com where they will also find every playlist of every episode dating back to April 2003 when we were just a mere mortal radio program. Regardless of where you get the podcast, please leave us a rating or a review. We love it. With that, let's get back to the show. In that last set, my top five Prince songs. At the top of the set, Dirty Mind, followed by Uptown, Controversy, and Thieves in the Temple. Raspberry Beret also on the list, but we did not play it in that set because we played it previously in Carolyn's top five Prince song set. Also, I must issue a retraction. In our last break, I said that Thieves in the Temple was from the movie Rainbow Bridge. I was wrong. It's from the movie Graffiti Bridge. And with that, we resume our chat with Mike Monzetta and Carolyn Prusa as Mike reveals his top five Prince songs. Please regale us with your top five Prince songs. I would love to regale you with my top five Prince songs. It's so interesting. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I was, my house was a big Michael Jackson household. And uh, we weren't a big... Uh, this was about the time when when uh, uh, Thriller came out. And I don't remember how old I was, but, but Thriller just took my whole household by storm. And we used to listen to that tape every single day, like day in and day out. And... Uh, so about this time, like Prince, I remember when I was a little kid, uh, I was trying to make sense of Prince, and I remember, like it was yesterday, I asked my parents, like, okay, so what is Prince? And they're like, oh, that's just Michael Jackson for adults. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I was a kid, I was never allowed to listen to Prince, and my parents would always tell me, this is like, uh, it's like Michael Jackson for adults. So I never got into Prince when he first came out, but just recently, uh, every year, me and my friends will go to like a mountain retreat, and we'll kind of put our phones in a in a box, and we're, we're like, all right, we're in the mountains for a weekend. We're just gonna. Uh, is that a swinger thing? <laughs> No, no, like no. Keys? It's just a bunch of guys. No, oh, it's just okay. a bunch oh, of guys. Okay. And we're, we're like, oh, uh, okay. we're out here and we're going to uh, be one with nature and, and do whatever. But for whatever reason, Prince, we put on Prince to like kick off our weekend. Right. So we'll put on uh, we'll put on Let's Go Crazy with, with my number one. I'm sorry, I'm trying to my list up. So yeah, so every year whenever we start off this weekend, we'll start off it with Let's Go Crazy by Prince. I mean, that's just our, sort of our kickoff. Because, I mean, it's so weird because we're not going crazy. Right. We're doing the exact opposite of that. But, for but you're here reason, to get through this thing called life. For whatever reason, we've decided to call upon Prince to right. be sort of our kickoff for this, for this whole weekend. And so... Uh, number five is Let's Go Crazy. Number four is Party Man from the Bat Dance. That's a deep cut. 
And that's interesting because, uh, like I said earlier, I was never really allowed to listen to Prince as a kid. So by the time the Batman movie came out, I think it was 89, 88, I wasn't quite sure what Prince was. And so I had so I had MTV at the time. Sure, I remember that video. And the video for Party Man came out in which Prince looked a lot like the Joker. And so at that point, I was like, well, is Prince the Joker? Or is he friends with the Joker? Because <laughs> I feel like I feel like the song Party Man was a I think song he's the that Joker's the, accountant. The, Can we talk about how that was like probably like the last DC uh, successful... Oh, that's another conversation. I think we should talk about that. Um, Should we be be surprised that Prince signed on? Or like, how did all that go down? Scott, I'm looking at you. I don't know, but I'm guessing there's some clandestine meeting between Prince and Tim Burton. Well, okay, I can see them being simpaticos. Is it like it doesn't seem like believable that Prince would like sign on to like promote something? And I'm very glad you bring this up because all of the lyrics of Party Man are written as if Prince is the Joker. So I was a kid. I was just a little kid when this Batman movie came out, and I was like, "Wait, is Prince maybe the Joker?" So maybe, the only maybe. thing, I, the only thing I was clear on is that well, Prince did is, dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. He did. And so at this point, at this point, in assless pants <laughs> and high heels. So at this point, as a kid, I was sure of one thing, and that is Prince is friends with the Joker. Now, is Prince the Joker? I don't know. I'm not willing to make that commitment. But at this point, when this Batman movie came out, I'm like, all right, I know Prince is friends with the Joker because he's writing songs that came out when the Joker was in the movie. Like, he wrote a song that played during a scene when the Joker was in the movie, so... I know that Prince is probably friends with the Joker. This is my kid brain working. So, do you guys not have any of this? Did you? So, it's guys laughing as if to. I just remember the video. <laughs> I remember the video. But before you can. Do you remember the song? It was like Vicky Vale. Vicky yes, Vale. We're getting there. We're getting okay, there. Okay. We're getting there. Let me. Let so, me. We're getting there. Up. So when you were a kid, did you? I guess you weren't a kid when the same time I was. I graduated a kid. college when that came out. Okay. So. I, Okay, Vicky so... Vicky Vale. Vicky Vale. Okay, which you're leaning into... So that was my number four, was Party Man. But my number three favorite Prince song is... Uh, contains my single favorite lyric of any song ever recorded. Oh, shit. Ooh. Ever. Oh, Let me shit. prepare myself. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the lyric, and okay. you have to guess what song this okay. lyric's from. This is my single favorite song lyric of all songs ever recorded. Okay. Ever. Not in Roadhouse? Nope. Okay. And the song lyric is, if a man is considered guilty for what goes on in his mind, give me the electric chair for all my future crimes. Ooh, wow. I dig that. That's kind of like, um, that's kind of like Springsteen, Nebraska kind of quality there. My single favorite lyric of all time, I'm going to say it again, if a man is considered guilty for what goes on in his mind, give me the electric chair for all my future crimes. I I am stumped, my friend. I don't know that. Is that from the Batman soundtrack? It's from Bat Dance. If a man is considered guilty for what goes on in his mind, give me an electric chair for all my future crimes. Say, work, work, electric chair. Oh, right from Bad Dance. Right from Bad Dance. 
Bad Dance is my number uh, three favorite Prince song of all time. So you, you double dipped for the Batman song. I did. Well, because Prince, to me, in like I said earlier, was I was never allowed to listen to Prince right. when I was a kid. You were making I, up for lost time. Yeah, and I was a kid in uh, the early 80s. But when Batman Do came you know, out... He's like bringing up the fact that he's younger than us. <laughs> we're all the same age. Like we're all the lot. same age. But when, when, uh, the, when the Batman soundtrack came out, I, Prince was to me what David Bowie was to Labyrinth fans. Which is so good. Which is, yeah, David Bowie had done this amazing body of work before Labyrinth came out. But if you're an 80s kid, all you know is dance the magic, dance the magic, dance, dance magic, magic dance. jump, magic jump. <laughs> right, right. I've so still Prince, never seen Labyrinth. Oh. <laughs> so Prince to me. Good and terrifying. Prince to me was the same thing as David Bowie was to Labyrinth people. Right. So I never knew that Prince had this whole body of work. And so I didn't quite understand what Prince was when Batman, when the soundtrack came out. It was kind of like Mr. T. Like, do you remember when Mr. T first came out? It was like, is he a cartoon? Or is he a wrestling man? Or is he part of the A-team? Or is he an A-team man who might be friends with Hulk Hogan? Like, that's how it was with when Prince came out with the Batman soundtrack. Because I had never listened to Prince before. But then the Batman soundtrack came out. And if you were around in 89, you remember uh, the, the, the Batman movie just took over pop culture. Right. And Prince was all over MTV. And so I had never been exposed to Prince before... Uh, the Batman movie, so I was like and trying Prince to Prince has never exposed himself to you. Right, right. So in the video, he looks like he's the Joker, but he also looks like he might be the Joker's friend. So at this point... <laughs> We're going, going back to this. to this. Yeah, so... Life is confusing. I was trying to deconstruct, like, what exactly is Prince? <laughs> what is he? Well, your folks told you he's Michael Jackson for adults. So, but the Batman the soundtrack, man, it, I was just right at that age where right? I couldn't get the sexy Prince of Purple Rain, but I could get the Batman Prince... But I couldn't quite get what the Batman Prince was. Right. So, maybe okay. Okay. Maybe this confusion like would help us understand like why he did the soundtrack for that movie because like he's very much into sort of this like polar like idea because like he loved God and purity but then was also like very mischievous and sexual. So like maybe he is like both sides. Like he's like the hero and the Joker. Yes. He's trying to put a message out that yeah. I didn't get. Because you were four. I think that... And Scott and I were like 17 because you're like this... Right. You would have been the babysitter that I had a crush on. (laughs) You're like this dewy young person. Yeah, and Scott would have been the older uncle that I would have been like, get me into the... Buy me a six-pack of Ice House. (laughs) No, I don't know. I don't know. But... um, yeah, but so the so the Bat Dance soundtrack, man, I thought I thought it was fantastic. But that was where I didn't quite get Prince. Right. I never really got Prince until Until. Until recently. So the number two song right. on my top five is seven, which we've already kind of discussed. And I thought that was my deep cut. I didn't think anybody else was gonna get that song, but apparently you do. And it's so funny because like I remember listening to that song and I was like, I don't know what Prince is talking about here. I don't know if he knows what he's talking about. You're like, I don't know, I don't understand, but I'm into it. And somebody told me it was biblical, and I go, I'm like, this is not, I don't know if you know what biblical means, because <laughs> this song is not biblical. Like, he's making up his own thing, but it's badass. Yeah. He's like, all seven and I'll watch them fall. Because he knows something. He knows something that those seven don't know. Yeah, he does. He's going to watch them fall. Like, those seven, they don't plan Forget on falling. It. They're seven. not planning on falling. But he knows <laughs> what's up. But I don't know. 
just thought it was really cool. And then, All right, so I, and, we're, we're at number one now? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it was kind of a long-winded rundown. And I, I want to help you with your quest for the truth to differentiate between Prince and the Joker. I think I think we need to explore this some more. Well, yeah, and I, and I really wish Prince is one of those guys that I really wish I'd have delved deeper into his catalog. And I'm not like a diehard Prince fan, but I really wish I was. So my number one pick isn't anything like deep cut, but it's Purple Rain all the way. Yeah, and I think that's the only right answer. Dearly beloved. We are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun. Day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one, Dr. Everything will be alright. Die. 
Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence.
busting.
ever heard the heat in
In that last set, Mike Monzetta's top five favorite Prince songs at the top of the set, Let's Go Crazy, followed by a double shot from the 1989 soundtrack to Tim Burton's Batman. We heard Party Man and Bat Dance. Mike's number two was seven, but we did not play that in the set because it was also on Carolyn's top five. We did, however, wrap up with Mike's number one print song, Purple Rain. Hey, everybody, it's Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay. My name is Greenberg. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here as close to weekly as we can get right here on NRM Streamcast. And that wraps up our chat with my good friends Mike Monzetta and Carolyn Prusa, author of None of This Would Have Happened If Prince Were Alive. And that also wraps up Part three of December. You may think to yourself, wow, that ended abruptly. Well, here's the thing. My recorder ran out of juice about a minute after Mike had wrapped up his top five. So could the timing have been better? Yes, because there was lots of fun chat that happened afterwards. However, we got the important stuff. We got all three of our top fives, and we got a chance to sit down and talk about Carolyn's new novel, and I encourage you all to pick it up, whether it's for yourself or to give as a gift. None of this would have happened if Prince Were Alive is available wherever you buy books. And with that, we are going to wrap things up much in the same way that we kicked things off, and we kicked things off with Elvis Costello's Every Day I Write the Book. We're going to wrap up with yet another song about writing books, perhaps the most famous song ever written about writing books. You guessed it, The Beatles' Paperback Writer. And with that, everybody have a great week. Take care. Have a happy holiday, a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever you're celebrating. Be safe, be happy, be joyous, and remember... The dogs on Main Street howl, because they understand. Paperback writer. It's clean.